Welcome to Bible study. It's always very good to have you with us. And uh, today it's a wonderful uh, Bible study, which I would like you to join with us and stay with us for the whole time because it's an amazing topic. But before that, I would just like to welcome our panel again. And I will start with Harvey. Uh, welcome back, Harvey. Yeah, thank you, Nick, and hi, listeners. And uh, Helen, um, thank God that you are uh, better today. Welcome to the program again. Thank you, Nick. Fighting fit. That's, good to be here. That's very good. And Lija, welcome to the program, Lija, also. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. And I will just pass it to Len, which is our facilitator, to take us through this uh, amazing study. Hello, listeners. We've been studying recently about preparation for end times. Some of you may have the opinion that the world is all going nice and cosy and everything is good. But there are many people, including us, who realise that there are great and tremendous things happening in these days. And uh, last week we were talking about end time deceptions. And this week we have a new topic which has some very serious implications for faithful Christians living in the end times of the world. Today we'll be considering about a powerful ally that Satan uses to enforce his evil will on mankind. And in some ways, what is happening and is to happen is very much like what happened in the Dark and Middle Ages. This is a serious and probably somewhat controversial topic. And I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes in prayer because we're going to have a short prayer before we begin this topic. Father in heaven, we recognize that the coming of Jesus is soon. We pray that we and many people who are listening to this program will be prepared for that time, that they have their metaphorical lamps trimmed and burning, and to recognize the tricks that Satan is using to enforce them to abandon you. We pray that you'll bless everybody who's listening to the program. We pray that you'll bless us as we present this study today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, a question to start off, and this is to all of you, panel. Would you like to guess how many countries are mentioned in the Bible, that is both the Old and New Testament? Now, this is a fairly hard Thing to identify because there are tribal groups but we're talking about countries which are separate entities which have been named so what's your guess well i'd guess about 20 or so 20 or so ledger i'm thinking about two two yeah okay what about you helen i'm going to pick the perfect number seven <laughs> all right well because <laughs> i double... don't have any idea <laughs> It's very interesting. You've got a fairly wide range of answers. The answer is actually 14. Mm. Now, listeners, I've put a challenge out to the panel this morning. I would like you to prove me wrong, and here's how you do it. If you read the Bible, starting at Genesis and finish at Revelation, and every time you came across the name of a different country, write it down and then phone in, and you can prove me wrong. Well, let's go on. We're going to start with a little quiz today. 
I'm going to give you four clues. And the answer is the name of an independent country in the Northern Hemisphere. Now, this country is part of a continent which has two words in its name. The last word starts with an A and ends with an A. The second clue. In this country, people drive on the right-hand side of the road. Third clue. This country is slightly larger in land area than Australia. Fourth clue. There is a saying that goes like this. When this country sneezes, the rest of the world catches cold. Panel, have you decided what's the name of the country? The United States of America. Yes. In case you're wondering if the United States of America is named in the Bible, the answer is no. But just like in our quiz, there are clues that help to identify it. And you'll only find these clues in the book of Revelation, which of course makes sense, because the United States of America never existed until a few centuries ago. In Daniel 7 is a vision in which four strange animals or beasts are depicted. What's the first one? Well, in Daniel 7 verse 4, it says, The first was like a lion. That's the first beast. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And so what is this lion-like beast representing? It represents the Babylonian Empire. Yes, and if you read Daniel chapter 2, you can read these particular empires uh, again listed in order like they in Daniel 7, but with a different representation. Helen, what's the second beast? And that's recorded in Daniel 7, 5. It says here in Daniel 7, 5, And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised it up itself on one side and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it they said thus unto it arise devour much flesh so it was a bear so what does this bear-like beast represent well i believe through study it represents the medo-persian empire and it was raised up on one side because one was stronger than the other yeah okay lydia there's a third beast mentioned in Daniel chapter 7 verse 6. Would you like to read that? Yes. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. Okay, now this leopard-like beast do you know what it represents? Yes, it represents the um, Greece Empire. Yeah, this is the Greek Empire, or the Grecian Empire, we'd yeah. probably say. Now, this is fairly important, listeners, that you understand that in prophetic writings, a beast represents a power, a usually a political power, and there are certain characteristics of that empire that this beast depicts. But we haven't finished. Harvey, what's the fourth beast mentioned in Daniel 7, verse 7? It reads like this. After this I saw in the night visions, 
And behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Okay, so what does this monster, if we can call it a monster, what does it represent? It represents the Roman Empire. Okay, now there are other characteristics mentioned in this prophecy in Daniel, and you just read it from the Bible. It had a certain number of horns. How many was that? Ten. Helen, what happened with the horns? Well, it tells me in the same chapter, verse 8, it said, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. So there is something quite unusual. First, it's a little horn. Secondly, it uh, dislodges three of the other horns. And then it has a man-like look about it. Lydia, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, and later in Daniel 7.25, it lists some of the characteristics of this horn. Uh, would you read those two verses? Yes. In uh, Daniel chapter 7 with verse 8, we can read, While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And uh, in chapter uh, 7, Daniel 7, verse 25, we can read, He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints, and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. Okay, it doesn't sound to be a very friendly horn, does it? Mm. Or a horn actually re represents a power within a power. And you can see from that description that Ledger just read that it is to do with religion and is against God. Now, Harvey, what of most of the reformers and many modern scholars, what have they identified this horn to represent? Most scholars, and certainly the reformers, recognised it to be a power that arose from within the Roman Empire, the Roman Catholic Church, or we could say the papacy, it's represented. Okay, now when I was a student, a high school student, we learned about the Holy Roman Empire, which was different from the other empires, and so it's got a characteristic that's different, and that is it's got a religious aspect to it. Just before we go a bit further, uh, I would just like to point out a couple of things. First of all, uh, to understand chapter 7, it's very good for our listeners also to go back and read chapter 2 of Daniel, which describes the um, big statue which um, Daniel revealed the King Nebuchadnezzar. 
But coming back to what uh, Harvey just said, when uh, we talk about the little horn and uh, knowing through the history that the Protestant world depicted that, particularly in their time, with the, uh, and I, I just want to mention something here. Many times when I'm visiting uh, Germany, I'm going to uh, in a city in Nuremberg. And on the town hall in Nuremberg, all of the sides of that town hall, it's represented all these pictures with the beasts and all those representations. And I find out that um, Nuremberg was the financial capital of Europe at that time. And Luther himself visited Nuremberg. And if you go there, or if you Google, you go on the internet and Google uh, the town hall in Nuremberg, you'll see on all the walls, there are all those reliefs on the sides of the building. I just want to mention that because those people in that time, by reading the Bible, understood exactly Daniel chapter 7. Now, Daniel 7, as we've just had a, a look at quickly, just, um, has this depiction of this monstrous beast with the little horn that came up. The little horn has been identified, not just by us, but by many, as the papacy. Now, when we go to Revelation chapter 13, another beast power, which answers to the same description as what we just read in Daniel 7, comes out of the sea. Harvey the reformers again, and many scholars, as we've just um, determined about Daniel 7, identified this beast that comes from the sea as what? The same beast. That's the Roman church or the papacy. Yeah. All right. Now, panel, Revelation chapter 13, verse 3. Would somebody like to read that for us, please? Well, I have it here. It says, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Okay. Well, um, can anybody explain what this fatal wound business is all about? Well, at the end of the time prophecy that's given, the Pope was actually taken prisoner by the French and was taken to Paris and the Pope actually died in prison in Paris. So the papacy lost its power almost absolutely at that point. So we could say the deadly, it had a deadly wound, no question. And just to be, you know, quite precise on that, because history proves that in uh, 1798, um, the Pope uh, was taken captive by one of uh, Napoleon's generals and one year later he died actually in exile as um, Harvey just pointed out. But interesting that you ask about that wound was healed and for quite a number of years the Pope was not allowed to come out from Vatican until 1929 when uh, the state was recognized officially like uh, state in state, if you like. Vatican, it's a state in state mm -hmm. in Italy. Okay, well, we'll move on from that bit. And we're up to uh, somebody, Helen, perhaps you wouldn't mm -hmm. mind reading Revelation 13, verses 11 through to 13, where it talks about another beast, which is the one we'll be concentrating on today. Yeah, well, verse 11 says, And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, 
interesting. The first one was from the sea. And this one had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doth great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Okay, so what's the significance of this beast coming out of the earth rather than the sea like the first one? Well, the difference was from the sea it was a very populated place, but from the earth it was very sparsely populated. Right. Tell me, what a couple of the characteristics mentioned there in those verses you just read? Well, I find the first, oh, they had two horns like a lamb, and I found that interesting when I looked at them because a lamb is, is innocent, it's harmless, it's and lamb doesn't have fully formed horns it kind of signifies youthfulness mm. um, yeah it, it was beginning to grow but it was like a lamb and yet it spake as a dragon okay it spoke like a dragon mm. and then it tells us in those verses you just read Revelation 13 verses 11 through to 13 that it acted on behalf of the first beast mm. Now, Harvey, I know you've been a teacher in your life. What do you know about the history of the United States? Well, the history of the United States shows that it's actually a young country by world standards. And it came about because of the persecution that was being carried out in Europe. And so the founding fathers went across from Europe to America and set up a country where... They said that there was no king and uh, it was going to be a country founded on Christian principles. Okay. Just on that one, also represented as a lamb, two horns. You know, a lamb always you think of an innocent, I mean, an innocent thing. And America acted like that. It was the first modern democracy on this, as uh, Harvey just mentioned, come out of persecution and they want to set up themselves in a different way. Having two horns, also interesting, but probably will come a bit later to that. Okay, thank you, Nick. Lydia, you've got something to share with us. Yes, in regard to the beast, the beast that proceeds this one, long viewed as Rome by Protestants, was depicted as having been uh, given power for 42 months, which uh, is mentioned in Revelation 13.5. The 42 months are the same as the time and times and the dividing of time of Daniel 7 verse 25 or three and a half years in Revelation 12, 14 or 1260 prophetic days in Revelation 12 verse 6. The time du during which the papal power oppressed its opponents. This prophetic time period using the day-year principle began with the supremacy of the papacy in 538 and terminated in um, 1798, the year that the Pope was taken captive. At this time, the papal power received its deadly wound and the prediction was fulfilled. About this point in history, near the close of the 42 months, which is in 1798, 
Another power appears in Revelation 13.11 and Revelation 13.1. It arises this time out of the earth, which is in contrast to many of the previous powers which arose out of water. Okay, well, this is an interesting beast, this beast that came out of the land. Panel, what do the two innocent lamb-like horns represent, do you think? Any ideas? Well, I read somewhere that it represents civil and religious liberty, in other words, freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Right. Now, that's strange as we get further on and we see how that this particular power is responsible for the removal of people's right to uh, freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Another question, what do you think he spoke like a dragon means? Helen? Well, I think it's a comparison between he was gentle, appears to be gentle and apparently harmless like a lamb, but is in action persecuting and cruel and comes through as the dragon as having strength and authority. Total opposite to a gentle lamb. Yes, yes, it's Mm. uh, totally different. Began like a lamb but uh, certainly changed. What this means, friends, is similar to what happened in the time of the Holy Roman Empire, where the Roman Church used political powers of other nations sympathetic to it to enforce the Church's requirements and beliefs. That means that in the last days, according according to the interpretation of Revelation 13, The United States, which is a political power, will be the active agent in influencing people to be part of the Roman Church, a religious power, and it will punish those who resist. Lydia, what therefore is the main issue that will involve the whole world in the last days? It's about worship. God had to deal in in the past with uh, these forms of uh, idolatry and false worship and uh, uh, God's people will have to make choice about whom they will worship and serve. Yes, it's interesting that the, the big issue in the last days is not overpopulation, not shortage of water, not shortage of food, not pollution, but it's an issue of worship. Harvey, would you read Revelation chapter 14, verse 7 and verse 11? Sure. It reads, verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Then we go to verse 11, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now, Harvey read that to show you that worship is a big issue in the end times. Helen, would you read Revelation chapter 16 and verse 2? Yeah, I'd like to just say before I read this that this is talking about God's wrath, but there is hope. 
in Revelation. You know, as we're talking about this, it sounds like everything is just, you know, on, on one side and the balances are, you know, we're going to be weighed in the balances and find wanting. But when you do read through this, especially in Revelation, there is hope and God gives us hope right through Revelation. But here we are in chapter 16, verse 2. It says, And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Okay, again, that word comes up. It's an issue in the last days. Lydia, what does Revelation 19, verse 20 have to say? It's, it reads like this. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Okay, which actually uh, talks about the end of these counterfeit powers, including the devil himself. Now, there's another verse that I'd like to read to you from Revelation 24, where the prophet John said, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. So that's where we'll stop there. So you can see from those texts, all from the book of Revelation, that in the last times, worship will be the big issue. And just on that one, Len, uh, talking about worship, because we know even if we, every day we look in churches around, that people are just worshipping God as they think it's right, not as God requires. And it is one thing he says that to worship me in the right spirit and in truth. Just look at the Protestant world today. They just want to uh, make an alliance of um, unity and harmony of worshipping, but not necessarily in truth. Because um, Jesus himself said, uh, depart from me, I never knew you, all of you who work lawlessness. Okay, well, there's quite a powerful movement at the moment called Come Home to Rome, Come Home to the Mother Church, which is uh, the Roman Church, reaching out to Protestant churches. And there are quite a number of Protestant churches that accept the Pope as the head of their religious organization. So if the Roman Church uses the United States of America to achieve its ends, who or what motivates the Roman Church? What does it say in Revelation 13 to Harvey? In verse 2 it says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Okay, so we've got beasts and now dragon. Helen, who's the dragon? What does Revelation 12, 9 say? Well, not only am I going to tell you who the dragon is, I'm going to read some good news here, because I, I don't know about you, but I'm very tired of what the dragon does. 
It well, says here, are, verse yeah. 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. His angels were cast out with him, but he is going to die. He's going to be finished. Okay, so who's the dragon? The dragon is Satan. Satan the himself. Devil. All right, now... The big issue involving the world in the last days, as we mentioned earlier, is worship. Tell me, what is true and what is false worship? Ledger, could you answer that question? In Revelation 14, verse 7 says, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And in verse 9 and 10, first part, it says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. So it means here he's talking about the true worship and the false worship. True worship is worshipping God and false worship to, to worship Satan. Okay. All right. In perhaps an indirect way, the worship of Satan is through the beast. Yeah. In Revelation 14, as uh, we'll, uh, we'll know, talks about the three angel message. And one of the interesting part is in that depicts who God is, the Creator. Um, in uh, particular, in verse, um, I think verse seven says that uh, yeah. He's the one who created the heaven and earth. Now, interesting that that phrase, you can find it in the fourth commandment, also, which is again of an issue of worship, because uh, many people today they will consider to worship God as they think it's right. And we, we are talking about the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church boldly will say that they change the time of worship on the Sabbath from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week because they say that they have the power to do that. Now, nowhere in the Bible will find that sort of approval. But this beast took that responsibility to change the law which regards worship. New Testament in Revelation there are mentions about Babylon. Harvey, the Old Testament Jeremiah lived in the time around 600 BC when the Babylonians captured Israel and other surrounding nations. Jeremiah repeatedly gave warnings to his countrymen about Babylon. What uh, a couple of those warnings from Jeremiah 51 verses 6 and 7. In verse 6 it says, Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. And in verse 7, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. Now, we can't explain everything, we just don't have time, but there was a word that Harvey read there, iniquities. Babylon was known 
for its iniquities. And we'll, we'll just explore this a tiny little bit, Helen. The Babylonians, although they were quite, quite cultured and educated, worshipped false gods, that is, idols and sky gods like the moon. Do you know the name of their chief god? The chief god was a snake dragon known as Marduk. Marduk, mm -hmm. the snake dragon. Now, this has got some very significant meanings. Lydia, what was Marduk's other name? Bel, meaning Baal. The Babylonian called Marduk Lord, so it, so it was Baal. I found this name in the Bible quite a few times. The Lord condemned the Israelites for getting involved with Baal worship. But you might uh, realize that the word Bel was applied even the prophet Daniel, who uh, had a Babylonian name, Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Mm. And there were other names. Bel really means to do with their God. Can I just come back a step? Um, sure. And do you mind where it said that, where I mentioned that Marduk was a snake dragon? Um, and you said that was interesting. I believe it's exceptionally interesting because the snake was the one used in the Garden of Eden mm -hmm. by Satan yes. for deception. And the dragon, as we know, we've just identified, is devil Satan. So they were literally worshipping Satan. Yes. Yeah, openly worshipping Satan. Yes, I found that interesting. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, when I was doing some research on this, there are pictures of Marduk. Some of those pictures... They were probably engravings or reliefs or something like that, were of a standing man dressed in a very special gown, and others were of this snake dragon, which was a skinny, funny-looking dragon. But both of those things would apply if we apply it to Satan. Satan is worshipped, so can I say, incognito in a certain way, as the snake dragon, or was worshipped as the snake dragon, and also as a being. And I know there are organisations now that involve themselves in Satan worship. And, and just um, uh, to continue on that point, because the phrase which says, come out of Babylon, my people, that means that God has his own people in Babylon. There are many, uh, you know, um, views and understandings around that. It's also a select group of people which are God's people. Actually, through that verse, we understand that God has his people everywhere, even in Babylon. But the warning is, know who Babylon is. Come out of Babylon, my people. And that's why it's important for us to understand these verses in the Bible who clarifies who the dragon is, the, serp, the snake, as you just mentioned, Helen, and all those things which the church today, a Christian church, is doing behind the scenes, you know, um, the false worship and giving that uh, authority also to the, to the second beast, which we mentioned uh, today quite a bit. Now, I understand that today it's a lot of information from the Bible about these beasts and all those uh, images, which can be hard to put all of them together. That's why I believe personally it's important and I will encourage our listeners to study further, go to a Bible study and try to find out how all these images and um, 
symbols applies for the time we live in. I think it, it uh, emphasises the study we had last week um, when I went back and listened again. The deceptions that are in this world, even today, and we need to know what has happened, what is happening yes. right now, so we will not be deceived. We will not be stuck in Babylon. Mm. In a historical Babylon, Harvey, Babylon was the centre of what kind of worship? It was idol worship. Yeah, and that's fairly common in um, quite a few different ancient civilizations, and that's fairly common even today. Now, Babylon's the term applied to modern false worship and the sinful practices of mankind in the last days. Helen, what does Revelation chapter 18 verses 1 to 3 say about this? Okay, just before I do that, what does the word Babylon mean then? Oh, we didn't get around to that. <laughs> no, I just thought I'd bring confusion. that up. Yeah, I think we were confused there for a minute. Right. No, the, the word Babylon means confusion, doesn't it? So let's have a look. Chapter 18, 1, 2, 3. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Okay. Not a nice place. <laughs> no, not really. Mm -mm. And and what are the features of this Babylon, modern Babylon? Well, the, the habitation of devils. So we've got demon and devil worship and the hold of every foul spirit, full of evil spirits, a place where unclean and detestable practices um, are moral adultery given to excesses, not a good place. In no. fact, it reminds me of some of the scenes that I, or stories that I read of Pompeii before it was destroyed. Right. And, um, yeah, it's, it's not. And the sad part, Len, is that people actually believe that this is a good way to be. But in actual fact. It's not. It's corrupt. It's Yeah, it's evil. It's corrupt. All right. Well, just as ancient Babylon was involved in false worship, and here's the real clincher for today, so it will be according to the Bible at the end of time. Lydia, would you mind reading Revelation chapter 14, verses 11 and 12? Yeah, sure. Where it describes two opposite types of worship. And the smoke of their torment rises for ever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. So we can understand here about two types of worship, two opposite types, uh, worship the beast uh, and uh, worship God on the other hand. Okay, so there's true worship, there's the worship of God, and the false worship, which is worshipping the beast, which we've identified earlier. Harvey, a careful Bible student will understand 
that the majority of people living in the last days will be involved in false worship. In reality, worshipping whom? In reality, it's worshipping Satan through the false system, that is, the beast and his image. Mm. Also, when we, it's sad to say that, and I, I'm hesitating to even say it, that when in, in many churches today, uh, the services are just to please ourselves. You know, it's just worship ourselves rather than worship God. It's just an entertainment type of thing, you know, in our churches. It's more like clubs than really re reverent churches to worship God. Now, this is very important because uh, there are many people coming out of churches. And personally, I come across some of those people mentioning words like, Nick, look, I had enough of this cheap grace, for example, or feel good atmosphere in the churches. And somebody mentioned to me the other day that uh, he was visiting around few Protestant churches. And in every one, he could see only just a lots of, you know, singing and entertainment, but very little word of God and explanation and study the Bible as the reformers did when they came out of the darkness of this world. And we are called to come out of this darkness and we are called to be God's people, God's remnant people. And I wonder how can we be if we are concentrating in our worship only to please ourselves rather than please God. Yeah, well, that's a good point, isn't it? Helen, would you read Revelation chapter 18, verses 4 and 5? Hmm. Here we've got a special call, a special message given to certain people, which Nick alluded to. Yes, in the scripture it says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached under heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. And I imagine there are many of you who are listening to this program who probably have been thinking about what you might hear if you go to church and you hear a sermon that's contrary to what the Bible says. I know not everything spoken in sermons are contrary to what the Bible says, but there are some things, and that's where the danger lies. If you like to go further and study a bit uh, more about the, the truth and false worship, even if you look in, uh, in Revelation chapter 12, for example, comparing with Revelation chapter 17, you'll find out about two women there like the pure woman and the apostate one, which is called, the pure woman is called like um, she's in heaven, you know, I mean, it's part of God's kingdom. The other one, it's on waters. And we even, um, we didn't have time today to see that she's riding a beast. Um, also comparing that the woman in the Revelation 12 is clothed with the sun. The woman in Revelation uh, 17 is clothed with purple and scarlet which again you'll see the adornments of um, of this woman, you know, which she attracts attention to herself rather than to God. Crowned with 12 stars is the woman in heaven. The other one, as I said, it's adorned with golden garments and pearls. Attacked by the dragon is the woman in heaven. Supported by the dragon is the woman from chapter 17 in Revelation. Pure woman 
is called the mother of the Redmond, and the apostate one is called the mother of harlots. Okay, now just coming back to those verses Helen read, Ledger, there were two reasons given for God's people to come out of Babylon. Do you know what they are? Yes, um, coming out of Babylon is just uh, not to be part of her sins, not to receive her plagues and to be spared, saved. Yes, not to be part of her sins and not to receive her plagues because this power that we've been talking about will be dealt with by God and uh, he's not happy about that. Now, in case you've been wondering... Is this all theory or is it um, real? We'd like to share with you a couple of stories. And Nick, you've got a story to share, and I think Lydia has a story to share about actual worship of Satan and so on. Yes, Len, um, just a few days ago I um, come across a lady who was a very devoted, and I think she's still a devoted um, Christian, belonging to the church we talked about quite a bit today, about the Roman church. And she mentioned that she's kind of considering to to go back to the Bible and learn more from the Bible because she cannot get enough from uh, going to her church. She mentioned that for many, many years she went week by week, week by week to do the same thing, to do the rosary, for example, and to do other things. And one day she invited me to to go or visit also with uh, her husband and as we were talking about various things you know just a bit you know just to get to know each other we all could feel that her husband was not necessarily interested but she mentioned something which really uh, captured my attention i wouldn't mention names here but she said you know if you are not ready yet that's okay that's okay, God will have his own time with you, but I am ready, and I want to follow God. I want to know from the Bible what God wants from me. When you hear stories like that from people out there, it's so encouraging, because we understand and we know that we have a call from God. We have the great commission to go out there and preach the gospel, preach the good news, which is buried from many other people who, who pretend that they are gospel uh, preachers. Who are the gospel preachers? Those who do the will of God. Jesus said, go and preach this gospel and everything what I have commanded you to the whole world. And when you see and hear stories like that, it's just encouraging. And we know that we have a great work ahead of us to do. And I hope each one of us and uh, this lady which I'm talking about, she's already a disciple of Jesus Christ, Praise telling God. others that uh, uh, she's ready to do something else. She had uh, lots of things to still put in place and to adjust, and God will take her as he knows his best for the right time. And we don't need to push things around. We don't need to be very scared about all the things going uh, around, you know, and all the conspiracy theories, but we need to be aware of the reality in which we live. So would you describe this lady who you met as somebody who is in the process of coming out of Babylon? 
Absolutely, yes, Lynn. Okay. Lucia, you've got a story you would like to share. I remember a story when we traveled a few years ago in Europe. On a train, met two ladies, and they sat in the same compartment, face to face. One of them was a very studious person. She had the Bible and she read the Bible. I don't know what type of Bible it was. And the other one asked her in the end, uh, I observe that you are a very, very devoted person. You study and you pray. Since I'm sitting here in the compartment with you, I can see that you're always reading and praying and praying and praying. And she, she said, the other lady, uh, the studious lady said, uh, in the contrary, I'm not a Christian person. I worship Satan. And we are uh, part of a big group of people who worship Satan. And we are studying and praying and praying very committed prayers for Satan to end up his work of destruction on this earth. I am struck and I'm scared many times that maybe these people who worship Satan, they are praying more than me, who I'm worshiping God, the, the real creator and redeemer. So wouldn't be good for us to pray more and more and more than the other people are praying? It's always good to pray, isn't it? And I'm aware of the fact that there's uh, Satan worship out there and you just go online on, uh, and do a Google search or something like that and just type in the word Satanism and you'll get lots of sites coming up. I was aware of a church out here at uh, Elizabeth that was a spiritualist church which was involved in Satan worship. That's what you would call overt Satan worship where people worship Satan direct. But a lot of Satan worship, if I can put it like that, is covert. It's through something else, a false worship system. When you're not worshipping God and you're worshipping, you're worshipping falsely. And so this is what this lesson is about. And because we've been talking about the United States, uh, United States, of course, involved in being the political arm to enforce false worship. And, and Lynn, I think, yeah, it was just uh, very good what you just said. And the Bible says that they have a form of godliness, but denying its power. Now, Many Christians, they, when you look from outside, you think, oh, how wonderful that is. You know, they're talking about God, they do things, but when you look down deep, you know, they don't follow God. Because God says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Yeah. And uh, that's a very straightforward thing, you know. And I, I was talking just um, this week, actually, with a group of people studying the Bible, and we were talking about God's law. And in Romans, it says that... Um, God's law is spiritual, but Paul himself talks about himself, I am unspiritual, and who can deliver me from this body of death, you know? And a thought just came out uh, um, during that time, and I, I shared with the group, I said, you see how important it is that the law is spiritual. We are unspiritual, but if we have Jesus Christ in ourselves, who's spiritual, we can be spiritual. Without Jesus, we are unspiritual, as Apostle Paul puts it. 
but with Jesus we can follow the law because m many people will say we cannot follow the law because we will be legalists and so on and we can go on and on on, on this um, aspect in regard to worship but it's, I think it's time to to conclude and Len if you would like just to uh, to bring us to a close will be yes be okay well <clears throat> you know we've covered quite a few topics which require more time we've just given a, a general sketch of what's happening in the world these days and appears to be um, going to happen more and more as time goes on. But what we've covered today is this. First of all, Satan desires worship. Secondly, that he has empowered the Roman Church as his vehicle for worship. Thirdly, worship through the Roman Church is described as false worship. Fourth thing, the United States will be and is the political arm of the Roman Church used to enforce false worship. And if you go online, you can find lots of things supporting that. The fifth thing is that this false worship system is described in the Bible as Babylon, meaning confusion. And sixthly, and this is the good bit, God will have the last say. Babylon will fall, and all that goes with it, including Satan, and those who accept and follow him, they will all be destroyed, and those who are faithful will be saved. That's it for today. I Thank just wanted to much. say, so we have nothing to be afraid of mm -hmm. if we have the Lord in our life and we search the scriptures daily. Amen. Absolutely. Is that right? Absolutely. Thank you very much, panel, for uh, this discussion. I know it was uh, not easy, um, even for the uh, Bible students to put all things together. But we encourage all our listeners to give the Bible a chance, you know, to, to talk to each one of us. And I'll encourage you again to come and visit us um, for the Bible study we have, if you like to be part of one of the Bible studies, please don't hesitate and contact us to the numbers which we provide during this program. But also you can visit um, any Seventh-day Adventist church around Australia, if you like, um, every Saturday morning from 10 o'clock usually starts and they will have also a section uh, called um, Sabbath School which you can learn uh, more about the Bible. You can just Google and find the church which is near you, and may God bless you and uh, be with you as you continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Is that
Yeah. 